free will drug over the thrill no consequence. <laughs> Last time we talked about logical consistency and uh, its importance and its use in conversations. And I had relatively mixed conversations about this episode because uh, so mostly with a listener called uh, Alban and he was telling me that, uh, yeah, duh, it's obvious that like uh being consistent is better and i kept digging like why is it obvious and like obviously it's to construct something and that like i'm why is it an end in itself and he's like shut up you moral nihilist <laughs> so yeah it's a bit of a moot point i guess because so he was saying that uh, in the end it's a spectrum and you'll never reach the absolute so why even like trouble yourself over it I want to but say. then I don't understand his point because he's saying that he's saying that you'll never you'll never go like completely logical so then why bother so he is an nihilist you're not in that in that conversation <laughs> well that depends on uh, what you call by nihilist right I was saying moral nihilist as seen there is no uh, inherent value to anything <laughs> and the why bother is more of a nihilist like don't do anything <laughs> just <laughs> no effort nihilist it's 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 why bother why bother is not nihilist because it values uh laziness and rest as uh an absolute value <laughs> <laughs> So his point was mostly like maximize your happiness essentially and for that you need a certain amount of uh, consistency because like you build up something that one day so that you don't have to rebuild it again the next day. He was giving me the example of a video game character that you level up in World of Warcraft or something like that. So to get the enjoyment of the max level you have to build up on it and consistently like come back and Granted, it's not an end in itself, but that is the only way you can build up something, I guess. So it's as morally good as uh, progression is. <laughs> okay, but we know that progression, we can discuss a lot about if progression is in a good or not. Because like our society is based on like the idea of like we ne always need to progress. I think you can argue that now we don't need to progress anymore. We could stop. Yeah, I mean, progression in itself is a hard topic, right? Because it's not necessarily... Well, it's obviously neither good nor bad depending on what direction you're progressing in. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's better to be inconsistent than progress in the bad direction. <laughs> Okay, so the second thing I wanted to talk uh, uh, for the follow-up is after this episode, like I listened to it and edited it, I was thinking that it made no real sense for me to eat meat just because I always said in my life that I don't eat cute stuff because they're cute. And actually, a pig and a cow are super cute. Like, you can, <laughs> like they, are, they just are. Like, you, you find pictures, they're like just the nicest little animals. And actually, all animals are cute. Like, it's really rare to find an animal that isn't cute. So I decided to stop eating meat. 
so I wouldn't can like I'm doing uh, I'm not vegan because that's insane like you just can't live by and like I'm I just don't have time for that but I I follow vegetarian diet let's say uh, as another guy said I can't remember who said that but a food-based diet to not call you a vegetarian and to remove any uh, political <laughs> leaning to it uh, so yeah and like it's been weirdly easy Did I, I thought you were gonna say something about like being consistent and so and so on but your follow-up is that you change your definition of th what things are cute I didn't no no I didn't change I didn't change the definition of what the threshold because, like, I, al I always knew that they were cute I just forgot about the nice picture that I saw like all animals are cute that so so I just like I was just not remember I was just pushing that aside I was like okay I can like not eat duck or or like rabbits and stuff like that just because they're nice so you 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 knew it you just you just didn't like. So you, you try to forget it and now you're facing your inconsistencies. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, fuck that shit. Like, that's not true. Like, everything is cute. You need to stop, like, eating them. And so, uh, plants are never cute? Plants? Uh, I don't care about plants. Today's episode is brought to you by Arms. Do you ever want new limbs? But legs are just not cutting it? Give arms a try. By the way, Johan, I watched a show called Years and Years that you recommended me like a few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, so for all of you, it's not gonna be spoil free because it's a review. <laughs> because you're discussing the content, probably. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I, I watch it and I find it like super interesting. So just like to, to sum it up super fast. So it's a show where you follow a family of six, I think, six brothers and sisters and like the grandmother. And at the same time, so you follow them from 2019 to 2040. And basically there's like four or five years per episode and you some stuff happened politic was and you see how like they respond to what's happening in the world. So sometimes like... There's not that much, like, even if it's an interesting and important political event, it doesn't really touch them. And sometimes it's not that important, it touches them a lot. And you can, you can just see basically a f normal family respond to, like, real events. Through a long period of time. That's the, that's the key. Yeah. It's like snapshots every, every few years. It's structured that way. It's snapshot every few years. And also the, so the guys that are doing that is Russell T. Davis. And he doesn't really push like the technology. doesn't push really like the politics. There's no weird stuff happening. It's just basically the continuation of what we have right now. Except at the end, which is a bit weird. Like the whole applaud, like the whole applauding yourself, like in 15 years, is a bit pushing it. Okay, so uh, I have to say stuff now. So it's the, uh, it's actually, so it's a project by Russell T. Davies, as you said, who is the guy who brought Doctor Who back uh, in 2005, I think, and he's known for writing really good uh, characters. Right, that's the whole point of seeing them through the through the years. So they are really like very human. And the whole thing at the end uh, that you felt weird about is because this show has been a pet project of him uh, in the back of his head. So he said in some interviews, like, I had the, the ending ready for 25 years. What do you mean for 25 years? 
well, he's been talking, he's been thinking about this show for 25 years. Okay. So uh, it makes me wonder because like the current landscape, political and social wise, has changed quite a lot. So he probably like re revised his idea. But he knew where he wanted to end up. Okay, and he wanted to end up on that? Yeah, probably as a narration device. I mean, like, it's super interesting. Like, I, I, like the show is super interesting because it touched, like, multiple things. And the thing about you prodding yourself is also a comment about, like, yeah, the gender talk that we have right now. Like, when the girl... So, one of the first... Like, in the first episode, there's a girl that come out to, to their parents and... The parents just think that, like, she's trans now and, like, it's quite a liberal family, so they don't care. They're like, okay, we're accepting you however you want, like, blah, blah. Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to, like, get surgery? Like, there's a talk about about gender that is super open. And then it comes out, like, and then she says that, like, no, she's coming out as a transhuman. And then, obviously, the parents don't understand because it's in, like, 2020, basically, 2021. And she doesn't feel good in any kind of like human body. And I find it like like this moment I feel is super interesting because you can see that basically the talk about like the liberal talk about like being super open toward gender like to toward, <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah so there's like so open about gender and they flip their shit the second they understand. <laughs> that was a really nice moment. And I think, I think, like, what, what's fun is, like, it's shown as a way that, like, 10 years after that, the, it's not accepted yet because it's, it's quite new. But you can see that, like, if you continue, like, the show for, like, 50 more years, a, like, this kind of person would accept it as gender, like, as they would accept, like, a transgender person, I feel like. I feel like it, it just, like, it shows that it's just habituation. That is true. So I don't think it served that purpose. Like they, I don't think he put that scene in as an echo of that to to as an echo of the conversation to show acceptance. But it is really nice that it does that. I think well, I've always seen it like an epilogue of like nice little narrative device to finish. But no. as it is well written, <laughs> it also does that because obviously you ha you see the reactions of everyone. And also, I'm. Uh, we are not gonna talk a lot about the plot and blah blah blah. But what I I really like about the show as well is the depiction of the the gay guy. It's the best representation that I've ever seen in any kind of. Show. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's Russell T Davies. <laughs> yeah, but even even in like Torchwood, the gay like like bi character are a bit like stereotypical. Like there's some stuff that you can argue is not like the best representation. Here you can really see a, basically a normal gay guy, and I feel like, and like, and even at, in because Russell T Davies did Queer Folk, no, the UK yeah. version. Yeah, yeah, but it was one of the first things he did. So I think you can really see through his career how much he evolves and takes control, like like progresses and takes control of the narrative. Like it's been a, a while since Torchwood. <laughs> now he's really free to do what he wants. I think that's that's that felt like a very Davis project. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly. But like I don't know. I love I love this depiction of. 
I don't know, it's the first time like I really see a normal representation basically without stereotypical, like just like a normal guy basically. I mean, that's what I love about Russell T. Davis writing both in Doctor Who and like the rest of his work is like the characters he writes are very real, right? Like you you see when he leaves Doctor Who, it changes to stereotypes. (laughs) So do we want like what like we I was thinking about doing that as like the main topic. Uh, obviously, we won't go really into it, but I kind of want to talk a bit about uh, this show is really about a dystopian future, like it's not a happy future at all. And uh, and I find it interesting that, and we talk a bit uh, offline about it, but uh, I think it's interesting to see that like dystopian future, dystopian slash utopian future in the last five to ten years, five years, let's say, are very much about uh, taking what's happening right now and pushing it to the direction that we're going in and see how it fucks up everything. And it's not about taking an ideology and like see what's happening. And and in old in old utopian slash dystopian work, what you see is you always start with what is described as a perfect system. Uh, and then see how it doesn't work. So you can like even Utopia from Moore, like you you can see like how it doesn't work. Nineteen eighty four, obviously you can see how it doesn't work. Uh, Brave New World, you can barely see how it doesn't work because you can argue <laughs> that like it's a working world. Uh, how it doesn't work for some for some definition of doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, uh, actually, everyone is happy and free. Like if you're not happy, you can leave, and if you're happy, you can stay. But whatever, fine. like for some definition. But but what I want to say is like is our generation completely depressed about the future? Like don't don't we have any hope? Because I feel like before there was a hope that like about the future when when old people I don't know like fifty years ago when they were talking about the future, people expected a good future, and it seems like our generation like is the complete opposite. Like we're just waiting for the world to end, basically. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack here like both touching both cultural production uh pessimism uh, science fiction etc yeah <laughs> what you want to focus on or slash start on i can answer like a lot of these i can touch a lot of points i think so there's always been people telling that it's the end of the world that's for sure uh is there more now than before? It's hard to tell because now people, when they say something, they have more platforms. And that's combined with the fact that fear sells more than hope for some reason. <laughs> that's kind of like the way it works, apparently, which is sad, but that's just that. That actually, like, that's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like why? Like, don't we want to just be happy? Because you 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 want to survive first, and then you want to be happy. Some kind of uh, pyramid of needs. But we survive. Like, I mean, I was too drunk yesterday to like find my phone. I was in my bed. I wanted to throw up, and I said, "Okay, Google, set up an alarm for tomorrow 9 a.m." And it worked. I think we're quite high in the survival. Like, I can get trashed. I cannot find my like supercomputer on my po- in my pocket, and I can still access like a random thing to wake me up to work. Yeah, so that's your most elemental self, and that's what the fear panders to. Whereas happiness 
pandas to uh, hope pandas to a more high level thing that is less uh, yeah. but the thing that really bothers me about what you're describing more than like whether or not are we more pessimist uh, with what the, like the fact that the view of the future has changed because we are, we are in it now <laughs> uh, the thing that really bothers me is that uh Uh, our market doesn't encourage creativity it encourages it doesn't encourage taking risks and differing it encourages the same marvel movie over and over again so i think there is also this fact of this phenomenon of inertia combined with all these other factors that make it hard to say anything about that like it's So you you think basically like they they found they found a good niche a niche market of like dystopian world like cell and so let's just push it uh, and it's not really it's not saying anything except that it sells and it's not really if they did a utopian world that like worked they would it like we would just have like ten utopian movie and a dystopian movie is that what you're like saying well yeah but utopian world can't work because that doesn't sell right <laughs> so it's it's a tentacular product problem yeah yeah but i mean like utopia no but but there's a difference between between trying to trying to show utopian world world with mistake and with like with, with stuff that can go very wrong and just taking a future that is not working at all directly And like that has never tried to be fair or like good or making people happy, which is like even if you see the big production like Hunger Games, it's a very unfair world from the start. Yeah, the, that's that's something else. That's because movies and TV media production never tries to be subtle because it's too smart and not pandering enough. You don't make money by being subtle. So, so you think that like Brave New World couldn't work today, like as a big production? Well, not as a mass market product. Well, it's it's always it's always been like an elite product, and it would be an elite product still now. It's just that now you have like mass media in your face. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, mankind sucks, man. Like if you if you want something to pander to everyone, it will need to pander to the lowest common denominator by definition. Yeah, maybe you're right. And that brings me back to the one point I wanted to, I really wanted to make in uh, about uh, years and years mm -hmm. is the, the the scene. So it's a good show, but the scene I really loved was uh, in the last episode when the grandma at dinner rounds up everyone and tells yeah you know the world has gone to shit some things are still good something most things are really bad yeah. and it's, it's your, your fault to yeah. all of us like she, she doesn't just say to all of you kids she's like to all of yeah. us it's our collective mm -hmm. responsibility and that's something i've been like really into this kind of idea lately Uh, because I've been thinking about how democracy and capitalism are two ways to fragment the the power and give it to everyone essentially the like yeah. in in idea conceptually so the the one point I'm trying to I'm worried about is that if you do that you end up catering to the lowest common denominator and like the lowest common denominator is probably the minimization of cognitive load or something pretty bad so the grandma is like oh yeah you didn't bat an eye you just accepted and moved on i think there's another way to see it 
meaning it dilutes responsibility. And like, it's not about the common denominator. It's more about, it's not my fault. And if it's not my fault, I don't act. Yeah. Everyone kind of gets a free pass because it's like, she even says that, like, what could one little me do in the sweeping tides of history? But the sweeping tides of history is full of little me's. So it's, it's a complex problem that realistically like the only solution is uh the solution that uh, like the 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 maximization of like the, the thing that fits the human psyche right this is gonna go in the way that the human psyche goes and so that's why i'm really pissed at uh years and years because the end of the show so she has this big speech about personal responsibility and uh, it's our collective effort to build a, new, a good world. And that was really nice. And then they have this shitty heroic action sequence of like, oh, one good deed saved the whole world. And that's magic. But not at all what I was talking about. What? Not at all because then, then you go, yeah, that happens like as like a heroic way. But what, what's happening is actually like, it's told as like, yeah, we did this action, but the system went too far and everyone did an action. Like, I, we're not like, we're not heroes at all. While we were doing that, everyone was doing that. Like at the same times, like there's another comp that was free uh, that we have nothing to do with at the same times, like, blah, blah, like everything happened at the same times because the system was broken. Right, no, there was like three actions. That's not everyone. That's like 10 people. <laughs> 100 maybe. They were sharing. The, the, so the, th the whole thing is they shared. They all shared the video on Facebook. They felt good about themselves. And then there's back to square one. Like they, they say it like another monster is lurking in, his sh in the shadow of the previous one. And nothing, nothing evolves. Nothing gets solved. But it's presented as if something gets solved. And that drives me like, very sad. That makes me very sad. Yeah, but do you don't like that, or I don't like that because it's so easy to get uh, like it feels like the, you're supposed to get carried away and uplifted and like oh they solved it. Yeah, but then it crushed your spirit, like it crushed you just. Well, it doesn't. That. It tells that so subtly. So I would have loved no, I I would have loved that the finally was really about like personal responsibility and long-term effort to make a better world rather than this like this half an hour action sequence do you ever feel paralyzed faced with a difficult choice when there's simply too many options it's easy to get lost this is called choice paralysis. Thankfully, we have a solution. Thanks to this axiom developed by our top scientist Ernst Zermeller, you'll always be able to choose an element in any non-empty set. So today's main topic uh, is what does uh, theme park, I think more particularly uh, Disneyland, uh, tells you about uh, happiness. So it tells you about how you can be happy, I guess. And what's interesting, I think like there's like different levels that we can talk about that subject. The first thing is like 
why can it tell anything about that subject? And I think the straightforward answer is people, engineer, whatever, like Disney people, create a park literally to make people happy. Like that's their first aim. And obviously to push a brand and like blah, blah. But like the job of a theme park is actually to create a happy memory. The whole idea of a theme park is you're gonna pay X money and you'll be happy for a day and you're gonna create memories, like happy memories for that day. Can I, can I interject something? Is happy memory memory and happy moment the same thing it's really not okay and so no that's a point to discuss i think that's the first one that i want to discuss which one of them is okay sorry go ahead <laughs> so yeah so, so, so my first one was like exactly like the like for sure team park create happy memories does that actually relate of about like a happy moment because if you actually describe your day at a theme park 80% of the time it's like kind of boring it's waiting in line yeah <laughs> yeah so so they'll probably have like the the best the, the most thinking time on line design ever in the whole of history of mankind <laughs> But so, yeah, the, the whole question is, it's probably producing, the, what is the product that they sell, right? Is it a happy moment or happy memory? And it's probably happy memory because you want like remarketing, you want people to come back. No, they sell happy moments, but they deliver happy memories. Yeah, because it's an it's a ending experience, like it's just a one day thing. So you go to a theme park, you're not happy then you might be not happy during the day but at the end of the day you have five good pictures with mickey mouse and like i don't know like with uh, with all the characters from all your favorite movies and you go out and you have these five photos to remember and you remember like the happy moments of the day you don't remember the cue the thing with the human mind is you never remember the boring parts so you only remember the highlights that's an important fact like is being happy about remembering being happy or is being happy about like being happy in the moment and there is also the, the thing that the, the happiness they bring you is not sustainable, right? You're happy in the moment for one day, but like they don't produce week-long happiness. I don't so, think anyone would be happy stuck in Disneyland for two weeks. Because I don't feel like theme park happiness is like happy happy like happiness with a big H, right? It's not. How is it not though? Like it's a perfect capitalistic dream. It's like it fulfills all your materialistic needs. No, it doesn't give you. It doesn't deliver novelty, which is the one big co the capitalist driver. Once you've done all the rights ten times, you've done it all, and there's no evolution, or very slow evolution. If the park is big enough to spend ten years in, then it's fine. Okay, so it scales the. It's a happiness that scales with the size of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good transition between our utopian work, like our utopian discussion and, and, and this discussion is maybe we can create a utopia where it just like you use, I don't know, all the US as just a one big theme park. And now we have a utopia. And what's interesting is uh, all, what, the, the second point I wanted to make during that conversation is it started with a very like communist view on what capitalistic, uh, uh, in a capitalistic world, how you can use communi communism view as like a way Realist for people to be happy. There is no because when Disneyland just started anything. and when Disney World just started and when like and Universal just started, there was no such thing as like fast pass or like super pass or like that sort of stuff. You just pay the entry fee and then you had access to like the whole park, the, like every attraction, everyone was queuing the same for the same thing. And everyone, whatever, 
if you had enough money to enter the park, everyone had the same experience. Super interesting to see that doesn't exist anymore because like, what, like if you can make money, like let's do money. But before there was fast pass that you can pay, it was actually maybe the most... Equalitarian? Like, yeah, like, I mean, this was a queue where you can have a millionaires and like a minimum wage person in the same queue, which never happened in real life. So I think it's a nice bubble. And what what's interesting as well is even now, I think it's it's happiness. Like wh when you say happy, like in a theme park world, it's really about entertainment. It's really about forgetting that, forgetting the world outside. So like it's a day where you forget your life and you forget, yeah, all the shitty details of your life. You're here to actually be entertained for one full day. And what's interesting is that you see that everyone strives for that. Like you can be a billionaire, you can be a, like you can be a CEO, you Insane, can be like you just can't live. I mean, you can be like, not a I Buddhist monk, but that. you can be like but a priest. I, uh, and, and when you talk to people about like that day at Disney, usually they prepare money to not think about money during that day. Yeah. So is it like is it really about money? It's a day without any worry, right? Supposedly. And, uh, and I think like that's what they sell actually. Like when people are preparing I, for I that day, that they aside. prepare like, okay, it I as like I don't want to worry about anything. rabbits and stuff. But the thing is they're coming. What's interesting there is not like the actual thing that is happening during the park is like people prepare themselves to spend a carefree day. Like they have that in mind. Like being happy at a theme park is being carefree. Yeah, that's... It takes effort <laughs> to be. <laughs> it takes effort to not have worries, right? Yeah, I, I, apparently, like that's what it teaches us. <laughs> like I don't know. I never thought about it that way. So, so I guess they really need. So the theme park brings something, but they have to bring something themselves. Like they, they can't go elsewhere. Like do, my my thinking. If if they are preparing themselves, like do they really need the theme park? <laughs> can't you be carefree somewhere else? How does this con? Compared to a week trip at Ibiza or Mallorca? A holiday and a day at a day park is not really different in that sense. Like I think people prepare for vacation quite a bit. And they both tell you happiness in a way. But the only different thing is that uh, Disney or any other like big theme park are engineered for you to be carefree. When you go to Ibiza, obviously, like, that's also true. Like, there are some resorts and some, like, it's a very well, touristic place. Some places place. are really designed like that. Yeah, okay. But most... Yeah, but it's less control. Like, Disney is the most controlled place on Earth. And probably the most engineering research. Like, uh, when you have a park, you do A-B testing. You can, like, you can actually do research. It's not the real world. Like, when you go to a holiday you still go to a real place with like real people with real politics and you will never have a strike at Disney. You know what I mean? That is not happening. Like you're safe. Like nothing will happen to you. Like there's security. Like it's a very... It's a bubble outside of the real world. So, so that's, I think, the first difference. And that also could be a point that freedom is not super important to be happy. <laughs> Meaning you're in a place where there's camera everywhere, where everything has been engineered for you and you're actually happy. So maybe like that also tells us that just like having freedom doesn't really push happiness. It's so ironic how much this is close to so, much, so many of the dystopias that usually the American values break, but the paradigm of American values is paradoxically exactly that. It's funny. Yeah.
But then, so I think like to to keep it short, maybe we can also talk a bit about how do they create. Like what? What are the points that they do to make? You yes, happy? I, I, I wanted. I was a bit sad that we didn't dig up on that when you said engineering. What does so you you follow YouTube videos about that? Yeah. That so it? so there's a like, YouTube channel. I'll put the link in the description. I need to find it with these amazing guys that only do Disney video, Disney World video. So basically, it's just talking through every little inch of like Disney World. So ooh. Let's talk about the bushes at Disneyland. Let's talk about like the trees. Let's talk about like this one little cue that has changed in the last three months. And also it talks about a bit like a more abs like complete view of the park. And what's interesting, I think, uh, there's like multiple stuff that is happening in the park that I think you don't think about uh, that often. The first thing that I find very, very interesting and that change between a park and the real world is music. At the same parks, you have music everywhere. Uh, and there's a lot of research uh, about music and mood. So the music aspect, I think, I feel is super important because this is music that is completely engineered to make, to push you in a mood. And like it changed everywhere. So meaning when you're in the main street, so you start every Disney, Disney park have a main street that you start on. And so you're on main street and you have this very sh like cheery, like happy happy track that is played during the day. So you start with a very, very happy mood. And the main street is completely engineered to make it look big and full. And yeah. at the end, you always have a castle. And this is like, and it's actually thought as, it's completely like the perception is faked for the castle to be seen bigger. And so everything is just engineered for you to have like this view of a gigantic street, which is really not gigantic, which is gigantic castle that you've seen in movie. Like, because this castle, you know it from all Disney movies. Like, it's the castle that you see at every start of any, like, Disney movie. So you're already in that world. Like, you're entering the world via this main street to start. Like, you know what I mean? You start your day with entering a world that exists. That's engineering for you to be in the right mindset right at the start. And in that street also, there's a lot of, like, happening. There's actually, like, a lot of work on smells. So each source has different smells that are pushed in the street. So it's like very like sugary smell, very, I don't know, savory smell and stuff like that. Just for you to again be in the mindset of like, okay, it smells good, there's sounds, everything is fine. Even if like there's 10,000 people in like in line in this little street, you don't care. Like it seems big, everything is fine. So I think like that's already, already just like this transition between the car lot where like you had an awful obviously like awful time going there and like making you forget about everything from like you're entering the park you have this transition period of like you're not you're still you're in the park but you're, you're not really in the park and that's what disney yeah engineered like a portal <laughs> yeah exactly but like that's what disney do good and that other theme park don't do good and then uh, also, what's interesting is all the decisions are made for you. So obviously, uh, people that love theme park will have planned their day with like every bit of attraction. But people don't actually do that. Like people just follow wherever the park tells them to go. And so it removes like this, like any kind of decision. Like you, you actually can just follow where the park. Like if you don't think about it, the park will push you somewhere. 
how do they push you towards the right though i've i've only been in groups that had rights in mind like obviously like there's a big marketing campaign and the star ride and like we're like oh let's go there, 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 there. but i can't imagine like a group of people not having anything in mind and still like how do you choose <laughs> what happens <laughs> what happens to them well, uh, so what w- what happens it's very subtle push Meaning it will be, okay, so main street, you go in the main street, you're then like you're, you're kind of lost, meaning you're in that like gigantic place where you can go into like four different spaces, but you're not actually lost because there's like your, your sight actually are pushed toward big things. So if you look up, what you see is either like a castle or either like space mountain, for example. So if you don't think about it like consciously, what you will do is like go toward the castle or go toward like space mountain without really thinking about it. You're going toward the bigs. So 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 then so then you end up like toward space mountain and then like they actually push you to go to a ride with music and with really like neat message, meaning you know what you're getting into before going into it. Before going to the ride, you know what to expect. If you go towards Space Mountain, you know that like with the sound, like there's a lot of sound engineering, so you can hear Space Mountain while you're outside of Space Mountain, which is just like complete engineering. Like you shouldn't be able to like listen to the ride, and just so you okay, that's a thrill ride. So like, do I want that? No. And then like, I, it's also carefully positioned. So like each ride are carefully positioned with like each other, so you don't have like two thrill rides next to each other because that's useless. I had a, a question slash reaction slash slash follow up. Is there something to be said about the fact that all of these cues are basically unconscious? Like no, like it puts you in the right mood, but unconsciously. So is this? Yeah, I guess it's just so that it also like doesn't increase the cognitive load, right? It. I mean, they're doing everything. They're doing everything so you don't think about anything like meaning now they have i'm not sure it's it's in france but in the us in disneyland disney world you have like a mickey mickey watch that they give you that is linked to your bank account so you don't like have money in mind uh and you have your fast path on it you have your fast past on it you have like every kind of information that you need on the watch uh, and that's something that they give you like it's, that's not something that you buy uh so i i really think like w- they're pushing for you not to think about anything real basically and like they're removing any cognitive load so happiness is ju- so so what do you think box teaches us about happiness is that happiness is not thinking <laughs> i think what it teaches us is if if happiness is about forgetting what human is then theme park can be a utopian world I think it's just like the perfect, like it's a perfectly engineered entertainment system. Uh, but like what's interesting is also it's like you're still thinking, you're just, it's not like a mindful state of mind. It's like completely opposite. Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a very good point because it's it's still very active, right? You're, it's very lively. So... It's very like I think like it makes you think that you're making the decision, but actually you're like <laughs> I, I think like that's where like it's really good. It's like I think people that are there like make 
think that they make conscious decisions, but actually all the decisions are made for them. This is like the, the most dystopian dystopia ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> at the heart of the country that uh, praises itself on destroying them. Nice. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't really think that's true, but like that's so true. So the illusion of making decision is important to your happiness more than yeah. yes because then you feel you feel you're free yeah if you don't feel freedom i think like people actually strive to feel freedom but they don't want freedom wow theme parks can't teach us a lot because because freedom is shitty like it makes you responsible no one wants responsibility and when you're free like you have responsibility so it's the perfect it's all the good sides of freedom without the shitty sides that is so cool <laughs> It's the good side. There's no, there's no freedom. Yeah, the, the, there is the thrill of it. It's like uh, freedom light, zero calorie. All, all the thrill, no consequence. Wait, this is this is exactly what that was in the. Yeah, yeah, I have something that kept bugging me in the back of my mind. This is from the Matrix, right? At the first Matrix, they are like, oh, the, everything's perfect. People never had like any worry, and it imploded. So we made new ones where they have shit and they think they're three, and this is stable. This is pretty much like that. Uh, the the Disneyland is a the theme parks are a matrix kinda. I think it's time that we bring the discussion to a close, and I have a good con uh, a good question that will uh, lead to a conclusion. I think, and maybe I can start answering it. Is like. We, we've talked a lot about theme parks and happiness. Uh, and is there anything we can derive from that to, in our daily life, to, to be happier in our daily life? Kind of like we did the segment about like self-help. So I'm going to read you my notes. I have noted that I need to improve the smell in my apartment and stop making decisions, like no decisions. No, that's not the second point. The second point is prepare enough for you not to make decision. The preparation before the day start for it to make it carefree, you can very much apply that to your life. You know what that makes me think of that is exactly in theme is the episode we talked about our to-do lists. And I'm incredibly grateful when I have to watch a new show or a new anime or a new book that I just go to my to-do list and it's organized by priority and I just pick the thing at the top because I know it's well curated. <laughs> so maybe that's a lesson here. <laughs> I don't know. But I've been feeling grateful to my to-do lists. I w I'm not grateful about my to-do list because it's useless as hell, but I'm grateful that uh, that actually capit like tech, like the tech world is pushing to remove decision from me. <laughs> like I love how like Google now just tell me if I need to take, like which subway do I need to take? I love like to remove that sort of like shitty decision. The bad decisions. Yeah. So, so to, to contrast, to, to clarify, you're talking about like the useless decisions because yeah, it sounds a little bit like we said, uh, like we were, in this episode, we talked about years and years and how things are going to go bad, etc. And it's shitty. We're going to a dystopia. And then we said, oh, but the dystopia is just a, like Disneyland. So it's OK. We're going to be happy. <laughs> that is the summary of this episode. And thank you for listening. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. Welcome. Uh, yeah, okay. That was a fine conclusion. <laughs> the situation is a bit more nuanced than that, but yes. Don't f yeah, feel free to leave us any reaction and comment and question to email, Twitter, or Reddit at Not Daily Podcast. We are thankful for your future message. Bye.